Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Weldcast, the podcast of Weld, Birmingham's newspaper. Uh, brought to you, as always, by South Pace Properties, which is the largest commercial real estate firm in uh, Alabama, located in downtown Birmingham since 1985. Uh, I'm Mark Kelly, publisher of Weld, and uh, my guests today are Gary Bourgeois and uh, Jimmy Griffin. Uh, you guys uh, have, uh, y'all have been in the record business for just a little while. Uh, you might say that. Um, 35, 40 years, something like that. That's, that's not bad. Tell me, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. Y'all, y'all talk to me about how you, uh, first of all, let's talk about how you, uh, you two guys got together and, uh, and your history in the record business. Well, that's a great story. Um, you have to go all the way back to Oz and the Flying Monkeys and the whole thing to trace Jimmy Griffin back to the record store days. And then, of course, I was I was a latecomer. Jimmy had already been doing the record business for years and uh, had already become the record guru of Birmingham by that time. And then we started Charlemagne Records, and it was um, uh, Jimmy comes along and. It's like in the movie High Fidelity, and next thing you know, he's there, and next thing you know, he's behind the counter, and t- and he's giving us advice, telling us what to do, and we just follow directions. Jimmy, how'd that happen? <clears throat> well, what happened was I, I was like uh, mowing grass in the daytime and washing dishes at night, and uh, the girl, my girlfriend at the time, her younger sister was a, a floor salesperson at, at Oz, so... She told the manager, this was Oz Eastwood Mile, Eastwood Mile, hire that guy, and he did. I didn't even fill out an application, so I was like, it would be midnight, and the, the Oz store would be open, and they would be playing Saturday Night Fever every night, the whole album, all four sides at midnight. So it's midnight, you're on the Yellow Brick Road, and I was in charge of the R&B section, but the whole store, I was like, real good at taking inventories. They called it the hotline because Oz was the start of selling the best sellers at almost cost to bring people in to buy other records. So I evolved from being a great floor walker to being a pretty bad assistant manager <laughs> at Oz Midfield where we were, and it was open seven days a week. So you, you were there all the time. And then from there, one of my friends invested an inheritance in buying the Oz at Lomans Village, where nobody shopped. <laughs> there, there was a gravel pit across the street with a Regions Bank and a trailer where the Mercedes place is now. Wow. That's how long ago that was. So that store went out of business, and I was hanging out back in my neighborhood in Southside, so I started immediately going to Apple Books and Charlemagne Records and just kind of hanging out, and, and Gary and Mary and graciously gave me a job so it was just like kind of seamless fit I got the job just as the unemployment ran out so good time good time yeah and so now you guys were Charlemagne with Charlemagne for a long time and it's of course still uh, I should point out to our listeners that we're standing in the middle of uh, Renaissance Records uh, talk talk a little bit about the evolution of all that and, and, and I'll say, too, that we're here at Five Points South, which, uh, and right down the street from, from Charlemagne, which is, uh, which is also still in business, two great record stores uh, within a stone's throw of each other. Yeah, it's uh, where we cut our teeth. Uh, I just uh, had the idea 
uh, to uh, start a record store, knew absolutely nothing about business, but we did have a great accountant, uh, Mr. McKay. Larry McKay was our accountant, so he really kept everything straight for us. We just had this idea that we wanted to start this small shop, and uh, we thought, wow, what a great, how great that would be to work in this little shop. And then, of course, you start thinking, well, then what do you want to do? What kind of shop? You know, we had seen this dress shop like in Europe that was real cool. I had seen these. I'd been to uh, Berkeley visiting my sister in California, and uh, on Telegraph Avenue they had these great bookstores and they had record stores and coffee shops. And this is like in the late seventies, and I thought this is so cool. And then obviously, like, oh yeah, what do you like? What is what do you like more than anything in the world? Well, books, movies, records. I already have a lot of those things anyway. This is my interest, our interest, and so that's where we kind of came up with the idea for the uh, record exchange, that whole idea came from California, really, I guess you'd say. And then Jimmy and I worked for probably, I'd say 25 years probably together. And I mean, it was like Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon thing. We had it going, man, every Saturday (laughs) afternoon. That's what, now I got that from one of our customers. You know, they said that we were like a great team. We worked together really well, best friends. It was just, you know, it was the best of all possible worlds and uh, really uh, enjoying the shop, you know, um, just enjoying our lives. You're around music, you're meeting all these new people. It was just really just paradise. It was everything you could imagine. But then, you know, as times change, uh, where we're standing now at Renaissance Records, this was the Lodestar Books, which was also just one of those iconic businesses. I remember it well. Uh, oh, it was just great. You know, they had the crystals and the futuristic books and things. And so uh, they moved to the park over here at Highland Park. So this area was uh, this particular spot in this building in uh, the Duleon, uh the La Salle building was em- just sitting here empty. We couldn't believe it. And so after I started teaching at Miles, this spot was just sitting here empty. So surely my wife and I, we got together and thought, well, it'd be cool to really have a little shop, you know, and really miss doing that after teaching, and I miss doing the shop, and and so uh, I think it was a security guard at, at Western. You know, everything happens at Western Supermarket. You know, you go to Western, you can't go in there without meeting, some, seeing someone you know. So the security guard told us, you need to go down to that shop where the Lodestar used to be and check that out. So that's kind of how we arrived here. And it really is wonderful. 1920s Art Deco, the high ceilings, and it's you know we left the original glitter on the walls, and and then um, so that's been since 2003, and it's been really a lot of fun. You know, just um, doing the records, the books, the movies, the music, the whole thing. And then Jimmy actually, I'm gonna turn this over to Jimmy. He actually decided he was going to retire from the record business. And I called Jimmy on the phone. I said, Jimmy, you know that that will not ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't. And, and I said, well, okay, Jimmy. I said, you can only watch so many Turner Classic movies. You go ahead and retire. I said, but you come in here. I'm going to turn this over to Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, you call me when you're ready. Yeah, I retired from Charlemagne in 2013 because, um, you know, Charlemagne kind of needed a change to be more modern. When I retired, we were still, I was still writing orders by hand and using a fax machine, and I would freak out that the machine was going to jam and the wholesaler wouldn't get the uh, order in time. Right. But now everything here and at Charlemagne, uh, Charlemagne's totally on the computer and everything is like 
streamline. So I guess, so with my lack of computer skills, I looked for a part-time job to supplement Social Security for a year and a half, and I came to the conclusion that we call it psycho-retail. It's the only thing I'm qualified to do. <laughs> so Gary and I are seasoned psycho-retailers. We may actually have coined that concept, which I will share with all people who engage in retail because psycho-retail means when your customer approaches you, no matter what they say, even if you don't understand what they're talking about, you keep listening and you give them your total attention and try, you know, the communication of it is sometimes it takes seven questions to finally get to why they came in the door. So that's why we call it Psycho Retail Plus. Some rather interesting things have happened, like when you're in the exchange business, that means prices aren't as firm, say, as they are in a, in a regular... Regular retail. Regular retail. Yeah. Uh, one of the funniest ones is there was a gentleman who was okay with all the prices except a handmade tie-dyed shirt by the talented Jonah Schaefer, uh, and he wanted a discount on it. So when I said, no, I'm sorry, it's a consignment, I can't discount it. When I said that, I realized he was sticking his tongue out at me, and there was a rubber cockroach on the end of his tongue, which means I don't like this offer. And I thought to myself, I am not going to give this guy the pleasure of acknowledging that there's a rubber cockroach on the end of his tongue. <laughs> so I said, no, I really got to have this, you know, thirty-two ninety-five for this shirt. And the roach came out again. <laughs> and at this point, I was not really freaked out. I just thought, this is really unusual. So the cockroach story. And then, I don't know if he bought the shirt or not, but I thought it's really... It is kind of creative to come into a store <laughs> with a roach on your tongue and, and you don't show your, it's like poker, he didn't show his cards. Till, you have to be prepared for any yeah. uh, eventuality. <laughs> he didn't show his cockroach card until he didn't get the price. Right. <laughs> but he did buy the records, I can't remember anything else. So then you realize, oh, that's great. another time a guy who was slightly psychotic came in at Christmas. <laughs> And I told this story to Ed Reynolds once. And, uh, the great Ed Reynolds. The great Ed Reynolds. <laughs> we knew we were in trouble because the store was full of people. And this fella had carefully made bracelets that looked like little nooses that were on both his, both his wrists. And he was, he was asking one of our uh, helpers to find him some classical music. And they were trying to. And then he was saying... Y'all have got to hurry. I've got to have these records right now. And I, I came up to him. I was trying to chill him out. I said, you know, we're really busy. We may not be able to find exactly the records you want today. And he looked at me and very quietly said, you know, Jimmy, a scream is a terrible thing to hear. <laughs> Which meant, I guess, that if he didn't have his record, he was going to start screaming. He did have the cool nooses on his wrist. And at that point, I said, I've got an idea. Does anyone you know have a radio? He said, yes. I said, get them to tune it to WVHM and you can hear classical music all day long. And you won't even have to buy a record. He said, that's a good idea. And he left. Saved him a little money. Ding. <laughs> now, one of you guys, uh, Gary, I think it was you, used the uh, term uh, evolution uh, a, a few minutes ago. Uh, now, in all of your, uh, let's let's say, close to 40 years uh, here at Five Points, this neighborhood has been through a few cycles. 
uh, and music has been through a few cycles. And at, uh, at some point, not too awfully long ago, we were all supposed to believe that uh, you know, vinyl was dead. Uh, but you know, here we stand amid stacks of vinyl, uh, well, and, and, and CDs and DVDs and books and other. But uh, now vinyls come back. So talk. Let's talk about the neighborhood. Talk about the music business a little bit from that perspective, if you'll. Oh yeah, it's really it's really amazing. You know, when Jimmy and I were first in the record business, he mentioned earlier they were actually using uh, forklift trucks to take the Saturday Night Fever albums off of, because the albums are so notoriously heavy. And they were like literally using forklifts to unload the Saturday Night Fever albums. <laughs> they were selling so many albums. And so when we started, it was all albums. And, and it was so much fun to collect albums with the artwork and the whole thing. You have the total package, and the, not to mention the sound. And we all had great record players and speakers and amplifiers it, it, back in the late 70s when we first started so the sound was just great it was fabulous and then as it go we went through the evolution and then five point south the neighborhood went through an evolution as well you know there there was the renovation in the uh, 80s and uh, where they plant came in and planted the trees they had the festivals and adams had those wonderful festivals they the five points festivals they put together and that was really fun to be a part of that, to see the whole neighborhood just kind of blossom. You know, it was beautiful. And, uh, but then the, the records uh, started falling out of, uh, they were no longer so popular because they, the digital revolution was just starting to happen. And then there were like CDs everywhere. And then, but you know, one thing that Jimmy and I never did is we never got rid of our albums. We always kept our albums and, uh, just because there was a warmth and the, the sound quality, there was something about albums that we never really quite let it go. And so we constantly, we always had records and we always had traded records with people and uh, had new records, old records, because there's just something about them. Of course, we still had the CDs, you know, and the cassettes and the DVDs, mm -hmm. you can go from VHS to DVD, but we kept those old media. And uh, now today, as you, you notice the evolution of the neighborhood, it seems like uh, now we have uh, the, uh, the new, they're making the new records, they're making the new turntables, so people, most people still have an old amplifier in their closet and they have their old speakers in the closet, but 90% of the time it says, well, I have the turntable, but the turntable does not work. So that's the only thing we do is the turntable and uh, once you get, you can get these new turntables and you can just hook them up to whatever existing equipment that you have. And a lot of the kids are starting to discover this. And then of course the sound quality is just absolutely phenomenal. It's like going to a concert, the record, the big sound, the record sounds so amazing. You think that's why it's come back? I really think the sound has a lot to do with it. Uh, when Jimmy and I put a record on the turntable and play it for people, it's just amazing to see the expression on their face when they've, they've been listening to CDs for 20 or 30 years and they hear their first record in 20 or 30 years and you can already see their minds turning. Where did I put my amplifier? Where, 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 where are my speakers right. now? And they want to get that new turntable and hook it back up. Yeah, the sound is, is, is phenomenal. Uh, and then, you know, there's the artwork and, and now they're making... Uh, the new records. Now, then again, the new records, you know, they're real shiny, they're real new, they're real pretty, they make great birthday presents, anniversary presents, but there's nothing like the old records, the old original vintage 
analog records. It's right. just amazing. But you mentioned it. You know, you are seeing uh, more artists uh, both on the national level and then here on the local level. Our good mutual friend Jubal Dalzell, or if we use his fancy stage name, Jubal John, Jubal uh, John. has a new project out, and uh, it's both on CD and on vinyl. Uh, on vinyl. And um, so I was going to let Jimmy add uh, what his uh, take was on and. We went through that entire, like you mentioned, the word the evolution, not only of the different media, you know, from the uh, album to the CD, and now back to the album. I would say most of the sales that we have are probably old vintage uh, records or albums. Um, yeah, the thing about the record is it, it kind of generates excitement. You know, it's number one, the sound is warmer because it's a sound wave, whereas digital is dots of sound. So the sound wave, I've got a theory which isn't substantiated that because the body, <laughs> because the body is made up of protons, neutrons, electrons, and there's like, there's lots of space within your body. It seems solid, but it's not. It's really whirling energy. So I think whirling energy responds better than to a wave than it does to a dot. But I, I can't really. I haven't really. I'm not a physicist. It makes good sense. Makes, you know, the sound yeah, wave is warm. To a layman over here. And I, th I think the exactly. wave can actually possibly penetrate your body. Some of the sound bounces off, but some of it may be going between, you know, the wave is like a like a ray of light or a wave can enter your body better. Yeah. So yeah. that's think. what Gary was saying. The people, they get, the sound wave gets your attention and it makes people happier. I've talked to DJs and they have agreed when you spin real vinyl as opposed to just playing songs on a computer, the crowd gets happier. And there's more dynamics. You can ease the volume up gradually with the sound wave, but when you ease the volume up on digital, it tends to jump. Right. And yeah, also, right. The, yeah. the record is so much fun because I tell people that it's more of a commitment. Putting a record on the turntable and playing it is kind of like building a fire for warmth instead of going and adjusting the thermostat. Great the person is more committed. It's more ritualistic, you know. And in our modern society, ritual is vanishing. So here you have a sound ritual. You know, some people like we had Gary. Remember this? We had a, a member of the orchestra who was so excited about getting the Beatles on Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab box set. He came and told us, "I always take my shoes off before I play any of these Beatle records." <laughs> that's, that's a ritual ritual that's yeah. right so uh, yeah i think jimmy's right it's like when you stand in front over here by the speakers and you put the record on on the turntable and you drop that diamond down and those grooves and those canyons and the diamonds vibrating and those canyons on the record and and then it's it's like there's this the sound wave it's like it penetrates your body you can actually feel it in your heart in your stomach you can actually feel the music when you play the record it's really a phenomenal thing uh, when a customer will come in and I like to ask them hey, when was the last time you listened to a record or did you hear a record and they're going well I know they have these new turntables out and all and I know the kids are all getting into the records now but I don't I don't know why I, I, they would want to start all over again and, and collect and you know I've got all these CDs in, in my closet and I'm saying well have you heard a record yet like like in the last 10, 20, 30, right. and they go, no, I have. I said, oh, well, let me play you a record. So we walked back here, and I put the record, and I dropped the 
Needle Down. I love to play uh, the Beach Boys. Don't worry, baby. That's one of my favorites. Boom, boom, boom. And yeah, then, and then, feel just, that bass drum. And just, ju- and then, of course, with the vocal harmonies. Yeah. I mean, it just makes the hair stand up on the back of their. Now you just see this big smile come across their faces. This one guy came in here from Kentucky, and he said that he had blown his hearing out at an Almond Brothers concert. And he wasn't really happy. He had all these hundreds and thousands of CDs, and he wasn't really happy. He can't even hear music anymore. He was just coming in the shop. It looked interesting. He wanted to look around, and, and it looked really colorful in here. He wanted, but he doesn't listen to music anymore. I said, well, when was the last time you listened to a record? And he goes, a record? He said, oh, all my records are in the closet. I, that's 20, 30 years ago. I've got CDs, but I can't hear them. I'm saying, well, we'll walk over here. And we put the diamond down on the record. I played him Al Stewart. That's what it was. And I uh, just happened to time passages or something just happened to be sitting there. And I dropped the needle down, and it was just amazing. You know, he had this big smile. He says, I, I, I can actually hear the music. It was like this epiphany. You right. know? And so there are a lot of stories like that, uh, rediscovering uh, the records and the sound and the whole the artwork, the whole you know, it's like Jimmy said. It's like a it's a ritualistic thing. Like a record is an event. Like if if you're in high school and you're you're getting into records, if you find an original Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced record, you get when you get home, you're gonna call your buddy, of course, with a cell phone. You're gonna call him as you go out the door, and they're gonna get together and play that record right now. And if if you got even a bootleg Jimi Hendrix CD, you know something really rare. Yeah. It might not generate that kind of experience, you know. But it's like uh, there's, so it's almost like, I guess it's 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 like the art form of music. Part of the beauty of music is bringing the community together. You know, right. like people who like mutually like the same band, they kind of form a tribe in a way. You know, so you're following this band, you you want to hear everything they hear. So finding the that the the LP seems to have more value value than just you know downloading and having it on a one of those little, uh, what you call them? MP3s. MP3s or the, it's not an SD card, but it's like an SD. Like a thumb drive. Thumb drive. Yeah. Like if someone gave me a thumb drive with all the Rolling Stones or all Bob Dylan on it, I think I would just look at it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, it, it's probably my limitations, but I couldn't relate to it. So yeah. I would, but if, you know, I have to have each thing to me is the individual thing. Well, so. and the other thing you have is this beautiful uh, uh, album art, <clears throat> right, that yeah. you, you don't get uh, right. in the same, uh, have the same experience right. with on a, uh, with a CD uh, or, or certainly uh, in the digital. Yeah, run, well, like you if, if you've amazing. got the Rolling Stones 12 by 5 record, it's got a certain picture on the cover. It's got the songs in a particular order, and the kind of total magic of that recording is how they put it together. And I... Then you get into even how exciting it is to say, I found the Jimi Hendrix Are You Experience? And it's in mono. <laughs> right. Yes. right. Yeah, yeah. No, we have our audio files that come in, that's for sure. And uh, we may be more into the software than the hardware, you know. Yeah. We, but there's nothing like a good old uh, analog original uh, recording record. And uh, the price, uh, we've noticed that some of the $3 records actually sound better than some of the new $30 records. Right. It's totally amazing. Right. Well, now I may be opening a uh, can of worms here, uh, but uh, what do you guys 
like best to listen to music-wise? Oh, you know, I, I'm I'm the pop guy. You know, I'm the popular music guy. I love. I I mean, I you know, I listen to everything from the Beatles to the Stones to I I listen to the Monkees. You know, and I'm not even embarrassed to say it. I like everything. That's my problem. So uh, you notice I post all the the pop tunes on our Facebook page on the Renaissance page. Uh, so I like everything from uh, the Beatles all the way, you know, going, and I, and I love classical, I love soundtracks, I love, well, see, we got turned on to so many different types of music when we were working at the record store, because all I knew was the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Pink Floyd, I, I knew them from growing up and right. listening to them on a track in, in high school and <laughs> such, but, uh, I was exposed to, I mean, us when we were working together in the record store, I mean, I was exposed to classical, reggae, soundtracks, uh, but Jimmy can get a lot deeper. He can go, he can scratch a lot deeper beneath the surface. Well, let me ask you, uh, uh, then uh, let me rephrase the question for you. If you, if you were going to be stranded on, on a desert island for, for, for 10 years, what, what five records would you want to listen to? Would it be artists? I call the music I like the best, for lack of a better word, bamboo music. It has an organic feel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, some Sun Ra, probably Bob Dylan. Then it gets hazy. Uh, within jazz, it's hard to make a choice. It would have to be Coltrane, Miles Davis. And then it's almost like. When you get in the categories, I think every category should have a hundred choices, even if you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. question. It is a hard but question. This brings out. I couldn't a, answer it. Let me. This brings out another one of my theories, which is that actually, you know, where art and science mix. Like years ago, I was at Loman's Village before they went out of business, and I'm cashiering, and I'm just rocking out to a Professor Longhair record, which is New Orleans music. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Would be something from New Orleans would have to be on the island. So this customer is buying another record and I, I'm, really, I'm really in a great mood and I say to her, isn't this great? And she looks at me very calmly and says, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, as, as Gary quotes Ringo Starr, it was like a bullet in me brain. <laughs> I realized, oh, one person's favorite record is not another person's favorite record, but everybody's having the same experience when they're hearing their favorite record. Right. So in a way, it's not that criticism is useless, it's just like you have to keep that in mind. Usually the people with the most talent get recognized, but also the people who are great entertainers but maybe don't, don't have the chops that Eric Clapton or someone else does are not to be discounted because they found they're sustaining that groove that somebody relates to. Like, I've had people tell me, and I'm always dumbfounded, say, that they don't like Wooly Bully, a Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. And I, I don't understand that, but I mean, you have to understand it because it's real. <laughs> it is real. That's one thing that Jimmy and I discovered uh, working at the record store. It really may, it's not like the movie High Fidelity because those guys are so elitist in that movie. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Jimmy and I are not like that at all. One thing that we really learned, it was a humbling experience working in retail, being a psycho retailer. Mm -hmm. You learn that Jimmy and I will go through like a big stack of records and we take so many different things because we've been exposed to so many different things and we really have grown to appreciate as we get older, we really appreciate all these different styles and types of music. 
And we came to realize eventually that there will be somebody that will walk through the door, the very artist or whatever that somebody's making fun of, uh, five minutes later, an hour later, somebody walks in the door and they ask for that very same artist. Right. And it right. really kind of humbled us, you know, that that's happened more than once. Well, talk, talk a little then about how music itself has, has evolved uh, during the time just that you've been in business. I mean, we, you know, we talk about the rock era and the, the 60s, 70s, uh, but how, how has the music evolved in that time? And is, and, and is that a good thing or a bad thing, or is it just, is it just a thing? I, I think it's cool. Um, you know, we had to kind of relearn, you know, everything, you know, because like I mentioned, you know, of course, the Beatles, the Stones, Dylan, you know, these are all like your, these are the giants, you know, Miles Davis, Bob Marley, these are the giants. Uh, but, you know, some of the new bands, sometimes some of our customers, they collect some of the classics and they'll say, I just don't like the new music. And I'm going, well, obviously, you know, you really have to listen to the new music because there really are a lot of really great bands. Like I like Bonnie Bear and Fleet Foxes. And there are so many fantastic new bands that are out there that I really like just as much as I like the old, the classics. Right. And, and But I have noticed that music has evolved. and But still, nevertheless, there are still the classics. Like when Jimmy and I do our order every week, they're just those same, you know, there's still Bob Marley and there's Pink Floyd and there's the Beatles. Like I look at our order that just came in today and they just don't go away really. But then there are so many of these, there are these new bands that, you know, we really, like for instance, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out that Gary's walking over to pull a record <laughs> yeah. from the oh yeah from like, the from like, the bin uh, like Beach House that, that's Beach what it was yeah I was right. gonna say we love them you know we loved Brian Eno and we loved uh, you know a lot of the electronic stuff that happened yeah. in the late '70s. What's What's cool is that um the the youngsters or the kids as we call them obviously they can teach us something that's where it's still a communication process because whenever anybody ask me for a band I've never heard of, I always ask them, oh, what does it sound like? What kind of music is right. it? Because it's kind of like baseball cards of knowledge. You'll never have time to hear everything, but you get an idea of, of what really good and what different people are, are interested in and caring about. Mm -hmm. And that's another fun thing about psycho retail. <laughs> we get the added charge of when you find somebody a record they really like, that's kind of like an ultimate retail communication. You've not just made a sale you've actually communicated on a certain level like you know and it could be like you'll say I think this is the most beautiful Billie Holiday song and the customer says oh I've got to hear it and you say well it takes a while to find it because the record's out of print on vinyl but then it finally comes in so you've kind of made this connection this communication connection or somebody will tell me somebody I've never heard of them they say well you know, technology, go to YouTube, you've got to listen to that. So I write it on an index card and try to check it out. Yeah. Jimmy really just said it all there. Uh, it's really easy working in a record store. Uh, I don't know if it's the same way in a bookstore, but in a record store, because the, the, you know, we know all the classics. We really, you know, are somewhat expert on some of the uh, older music, classical, popular jazz. Uh, but the new records, the kids come in, they're the ones that turned us on to it. And uh, we at, when, and we always do, Jimmy and I try to keep an open mind. We always ask them, what does that sound like? Because we're always looking for some yeah, standard reference. Yeah, yeah. 
And all these new bands that we really like, there are a lot of really great new artists that we really enjoy and play them in the store, etc. But uh, we were turned on to all those bands by the customers. They pretty much, I'd say even in the old days, I think it was the same thing. I think that our customers, they'll come in and ask us for something and and if we don't know, we'll write it down. What does that sound like? Next thing you know, you're playing it in the store. And it's just an evolution. It's that community thing Jimmy was talking about. It's really one of the great things about working uh, retail. And a funny side of it, going to psycho retail, you also encountered on Facebook, you have to be careful about giving your facts. I tell people to fact check, check, fact check me all the time because also you'll have one of our oldest customers, we will say, oh, Richard, have you got this? And he'll kind of take a step back. Well, yeah, I've got the box set with the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, right. So somebody yeah. always knows more yeah. about more than you do about something. They so. do, right? So. And they do. We really kind of walk in here every day, knowing that we do, right? We know a lot about certain things, but we know that our customers know more about whatever niche that they're into. They know more about it than we do, and they can teach us something. It's really it's. It's that whole, it's part of the whole uh, retail clerk uh, experience. It really is validating. It's really a great experience. Somebody turns you on to a, a, a new artist and you've never heard them before and then you, and then you find yourself really liking it. Right, and, right. Uh, so it's that, a beautiful thing. It does happen all the time. Yeah. Well, now, to, to return uh, to this idea of, of evolution and of community, uh, if y'all would, talk a little about Birmingham and some of the, some of the changes, whether whether good, bad, or indifferent, but but things that have changed and, and how this community has evolved in, in, in your time in business here. You got to go all the way back to, uh, with me and Jimmy, we go back to the 70s, I guess you'd say, yeah. when we moved to this neighborhood. I always loved Southside. Um, I grew up in Vestavia. And, I never really liked it much. I mean, it's nice, it's safe, it's pretty. There are mountains and trees and canyons that I played in when I was a kid. But um, there were no sidewalks, and there wasn't that whole community thing about where you're walking around. And if you wanted to go to the swimming pool or whatever, you had to ride your bike up and down these treacherous mountains and things, you know, to get there to the swimming pool. But I always envied my friends who lived in Homewood. And I always wanted to move closer into the uh, city. So when I went to high school at the old John Carroll, it was right down the street. I, yeah. I, I fell in love with this neighborhood. I, I was in ninth grade. I started high school right down the street here. And so I'm in the inner city now. And I'm like, wow. I had never really noticed the architecture in my neighborhood as a kid growing up. And I thought, wow, this is really beautiful. This neighborhood is so beautiful. All these Victorian uh, homes and uh uh, early 1900s architecture, bungalows and Tudors and uh, columns. And I said, this neighborhood is so beautiful. So I just kind of fell in love with it. And we lived around here. Both of us had apartments around here. And you could walk around the parks. And, and of course, in the Five Points South, there's some magic about this neighborhood. And when you walk through Five Points South, it just, it always has had that. And I think it still does have that. There is this magic that's in the air. It's great to see other neighborhoods also that are being revitalized, like Lakeview and Avondale. It, but there is just this certain magic about Five Points South. It's like there's a spirit that's in the air. 
And I think that I feel like that is still there too. You know, when you drive in, like I'll be teaching all day and I'll drive back into the city and I'll come back into Five Point Sound, go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee. And there just is the people, the architecture. There is a certain magic, a charm about this area. It's be, I think I think actually the architects that designed these parks. I think those were the guys that did the parks. Yeah, Olmstead. It was yeah. Olmstead in New yeah. York City. Yeah, right. I mean, it, there's just this incredible feeling, you know, when you walk around in this neighborhood. And I feel like it's still there. Saturdays is so much fun. Jimmy and I will be in here playing records, and and a lot of people get out on Saturdays. And this is really like a tourist destination. If you live in the suburbs, you have to come into downtown Birmingham. You have to come into Five Point South. If you have somebody from out of town that's come to visit you, this is really the neighborhood where they take them. They get to walk around, and I'll let Jimmy add to that. Well, what I think is good about Birmingham right now is well, first of all, Five Points, I always thought of it as a crossroads community. I mean, when you have a crossroads situation, you're seeing all kinds of people crossing paths in a certain geographic place. And, you, you know, you get a feeling, it's kind of like a neutral turf. Everybody feels like there's something here for them. And uh, the thing about the modern world is, I remember when we had an ice storm, nobody could drive their cars, and the streets looked like Manhattan. Because everybody had to walk. Right. So you finally saw your neighbors because everybody's car was put up. So when you means had, a lot in this uh, car-oriented yeah, town that we live in. We, we've got we've got people who build new neighborhoods and don't put sidewalks down. And I always say, why don't you have sidewalks? That's a, I always say sidewalks are a sign of civilization. You know, a sign of being willing so. to slow down. Yeah. And so I think in the evolution of Birmingham, it's going back towards. Maybe the way things were in the, uh, what was it, the 18th, 19th century, when people on Sunday would go out and walk and stroll and greet their friends. Right. And so when you have neighborhoods where people start seeing their friends again that have pedestrian and good parking, that helps. You know, you got to put the car somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But when you have that feeling of people feet on the ground, they're, they're in the neighborhood. You're not just driving through. You're, you're, you're touching the ground. So I think that's that's where Birmingham, like with uh, the railroad park, and you see people there walking around and seeing each other. It's a it's kind of a really kind of, it's a sign of civilization that's not to do as much with technology as with just uh, humanity or just how, how people relate. Right. Whatever that means. <laughs> it's, it's, no, I'm well said. Yeah, I think there really is. There's that. Uh, there's that sense of community about it. And uh, even though Jimmy and I have been working in the record uh, business, we love music, and we've been working in the uh, record business for so many decades. That was really something a gift. Uh, it was something we really. I, I don't think I really premeditated that. Oh, this is going to enrich my life so much because I'm going to meet all these wonderful people that come through this community. And you go into it because you love music and you love records. And that was just an added benefit. That was just something that happened. And you look back, you know, on your life and you go, you know, this whole thing, there's this something about, Jimmy mentioned earlier about you're holding the record in your hand and this is a commitment and you're jumping into this. And I think that that's kind of like a metaphor, like a, that's like a wheel and it goes out in all directions. And there are all those people and all of their lives. And we have been connected for all of these years. 
and it's just something that we never really even anticipated, but it did, but it happened. Those are the best things, aren't they? Always. Well, before we wrap up here, you know, uh, uh, Gary, you you, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> earlier your wife Shirley, and she's been uh, uh, manning the, uh, the the store over there while we sit over here and goof off. So we should we should say thanks first to uh, to Shirley. And then let me uh, let me thank both of you guys for your time and uh, and for what you do here in Birmingham, and remind our uh, listeners this is the the Weldcast and uh, uh, brought to you by South Pace Properties and we certainly do appreciate their uh, support and sponsorship, and thanks to y'all for having us. Thank you. Thank All you, right. Mark.